This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. in for the canine caper of the century it's 101 dalmatians and this film is lit hello and welcome back to this film is lit the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books we have every single one of our segments so we're gonna get right into it with let me sum up let me explain there is too much. Let me sum up. If you have not read or watched 101 Dalmatians recently, this will not help you much with the reading part, but we are going to give you a brief summary of the film sourced from Wikipedia. Aspiring songwriter Roger Radcliffe lives in a bachelor flat in London with his pet Dalmatian, Pongo. Deciding both of them need a mate, Pongo watches women and their dogs in the street. Noticing Anita and her Dalmatian, Perdita, he drags Roger to the park to arrange a meeting. Roger and Anita fall in love and soon marry with Pongo and Perdita attending and also marrying (laughs) and Wikipedia, whoever. (laughs) It's kind of an important detail. The Radcliffe's hire a nanny and move into a small townhouse near Regent's Park. After Perdita becomes pregnant with a litter of 15 puppies, Anita's fur-obsessed former schoolmate, Cruella DeVille, arrives and demands to know when the puppies will arrive. Roger responds by writing a jazzy song mocking her. When the puppies are born, Corella returns demanding to buy them. Roger firmly denies her. Corella, refusing to take no for an answer, swears revenge and storms out. Several weeks later, Corella hires her brother hires brothers Horace and Jasper Badden, two burglars, to steal the puppies. When Scotland Yard is unable to find the puppies, Pongo and Perdita use the Twilight Bark, a canine gossip line, to solicit help from the other dogs in London. Colonel, an old English sheepdog, along with his feline compatriot Sergeant Tibbs, investigate the nearby Old DeVille place where puppies have been heard barking two nights earlier. Tibbs finds the puppies in the hall and learns that Cruella intends to make them into dogskin fur coats. After Colonel sends word back to London, Pongo and Perdita leave through a back window and begin a long cross country journey crossing an icy river and running through the snow towards Suffolk. Meanwhile, Tibbs overhears Cruella ordering the Baden brothers to kill the puppies that night out of fear that the police will soon find them. In response, Tibbs Helps the puppies escape through a hole in the wall, but the Badden brothers notice and give chase. Pongo and Perdita break into the house and confront the Baddens just as they're about to kill the puppies. While the adult dogs attack the two men, Colonel and Tibbs guide the puppies from the house. Following a happy reunion, Pongo and Perdita discover that there are 84 more puppies with their own. Shocked at Corella's plans, they decide to adopt all of the puppies, certain that Roger and Anita would never reject them. The Dalmatians start their homeward trek, pursued by the Badden brothers. They take shelter from a blizzard in a dairy farm with a friendly collie and three cows, and then they make their way to Dinsford, where they meet a black Labrador waiting for them in a blacksmith's shop. Cruella and the Badden brothers arrive, prompting Pongo and his entire family to roll in a sooty fireplace to disguise themselves as other Labradors. The Labradors help them board a moving van bound for London, but the melting snow falls unlucky and clears the soot off him. 
Enraged, Cruella pursues the van. She attempts to use her car to ram the van off the road, but the Baddens, who are attempting the same thing in their lorry, end up colliding with her. Both vehicles crash into a ditch, and Cruella yells in frustration as the pair, at the pair as the van drives off. In London, a depressed nanny and the Radcliffs try to enjoy Christmas and the wealth they have acquired from the song about Cruella, which has become a big radio hit. The soot-covered Dalmatians suddenly flood the house. Upon removing the soot and counting the massive family of dogs, Roger chooses to use his songwriting royalties to buy a big house in the country so that they can keep all 101 Dalmatians. There you go. There's your brief summary in case you needed it. We actually have a guess who. Only two of them, but at least it's something. Let's get to that now. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay, so you're going to get these. Okay. It's not going to be a problem. I just thought they were fun, so I wanted to include them. She was wearing a tight-fitting emerald satin dress, several ropes of rubies, and an absolutely simple white mink coat, which reached to the high heels of her ruby-red shoes. She had a dark skin, black eyes with a tinge of red in them, and a very pointed nose. Her hair was severely parted down the middle, and one half of it was black and the other white. There you go. Uh, that's Cruella de Vil. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, so that was actually one of my questions, I think. Was it not? I think you had, it, I don't know if it was a question on its own, but you definitely had a question yeah. that mentioned the hair. I was wondering, like, was that a design choice the movie made, or yeah. was that from the book? And I, Yeah, it's from the book. I mean, it's pretty, pretty spot on. Fairly spot on, yeah. The dark skin, not so yeah, much, depending I, on I what don't that means. No, because and I quoted the book exactly, exactly. there. It says skin. it says she had a dark skin, so I'm not sure what exactly I that's mean, supposed to mean. I think you could write it that way. It feels a little clunky, like just describing somebody's skin color. Like you could say they had a dark skin. Yeah, like it sounds weird, and we wouldn't say it that way normally now. But I think it's not maybe not like wildly incorrect to say that uh it also could be but again it's describing her physically and especially like her face in that sentence so it seems unlikely but it also could have been referencing something she was carrying or something that was like a skin like maybe that was like a nickname for like a a purse or something i don't you know what i mean i again i don't think it is based on where it falls in the description because the rest of it's like her physical and her facial features specifically but yeah, it is interesting. Um, okay, and our next one. Um, one was heavy and dark with a forehead so low that his bushy eyebrows often got tangled with his matted hair. The other was thin and fair with a chin so sharp and pointed that it had worn holes in all his shirts. Both were dirty. Uh, this would be the Baden brothers. Yes. Horace and Jasper. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Those were <clears throat> very easy. Yeah. <laughs> very simple, very obvious. All right, I got uh, quite a few questions. Let's get into them in Was That in the Book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So the film starts out, and it uh, it's told from the perspective of Pongo, who is uh, Roger's dog and kind of our main character, the main protagonist. Um, well, kind of, uh, and his name is Pongo in the film and I wanted to know, but like, we're hearing his narration in the film and yeah. he's where the story is being told from his perspective. And I wanted to know if the book followed that format of 
whether his name's Pongo or something else, uh, does is it told from the perspective of like a dog? So his name is Pongo. So we can just clear that up. Um, and the book is told from an omniscient third person perspective. So Pongo is not the narrator in the okay. book. Um, I have to say that I like this choice from the movie. It does kind of drop out once it we does. get yeah, into the story proper. True. Well, because he's not in parts of it for stretches. But yes. Yeah. But yeah, it does kind of drop off. But I, I do think it helps kind of set up the world that we're in. Uh, plus, we don't really need it once there are more dogs around and they can just talk to each other instead of having to explain things to us. That's true. In this opening, it's uh, he's our, our entryway into the world. And then after yeah. that, the dogs just talk to each other. Yes. Like out loud. Well, you know, not out loud, like technically, but we hear them like just talking to each other. All right. Uh, so then what is established during this opening scene is that uh, Roger, his owner, is leading the bachelor life, and Pongo is not all about it. He's desperately bored, and he wants both himself and his owner to find partners, to find uh, women to, to match up with and end their bachelor life. And I wanted to know if this is the plot, if that plot came from the book, and if specifically Pongo uh, manufactures a meat cute for Roger and Anita, because... He literally just does like a, a classic movie meet cute mm -hmm. that you see in a million movies mm -hmm. after this. <laughs> um, so they're actually all already together when the book starts. Mm, so this, so yeah, this, so this is not something that's from the, the book. The film explores the backstory of how they got together. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, it is mentioned in the book that they all met at the same time, but how they met isn't specifically detailed. By all, you mean the two dogs? Yes, the two dogs the two and owners. the two humans. Okay. Yeah. This opening bit is quite possibly my favorite part of the movie. I, I would say it's my favorite part, probably. I, I love the conceit that somebody's dog is trying to find, like, a mate for him. I love the scene with all the dogs who look weirdly similar to their humans passing by outside the window. Mm -hmm. Like, the character design is chef's kiss. Yes, it's great. In that little scene. And I love the manufactured meat cute. I, the dog leash around their legs, classic. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, no, it's it is it's it's a it's a fun scene. Yeah. It's, so this, for me, this is a better in the movie edition for sure. Sweet. Uh, well, we mentioned it in the summary, but there is a uh, they the the humans get married, and Wikipedia incorrectly says that the dogs attend. They also get married, or like dog married, or yeah. as close as you can get. I you know whatever. Uh, during this ceremony. They're kind of outside the church at the window, uh, also exchanging vows, I guess, or whatever, dog vows. And I wanted to know if there was a simultaneous human dog wedding in the book. <laughs> um, no, there's not. This is a movie edition. Uh, dogs do appear to have the concept of marriage in the book. Um, Pongo and, and his wife refer to each other as husband mm, and wife. Okay. Um, and there's also another dog who has a husband. But the actual wedding itself is not from the book. Gotcha. And you had mentioned in the prequel that they redid this scene to avoid offending religious Sup people. Supposedly. That was Supposedly. what I read. And I guess it's not super religious aside from them, like, obviously being at a church. Yeah, but it's more, I don't know. After I watched the, the scene, I was like, I mean, it's, I don't know. I guess it could have been way more, like, religious, but they, they were still in a church with a priest and they were like dressed the part. Mm -hmm. Well, what I read made it sound like they made it a much less 
official wedding ceremony. But I, again, I don't know what it would have been originally, or yeah. if this is, is fact. I mean, it's it definitely it was looked like to a book about this era. I think, but yeah. It definitely looked like it was a simple wedding ceremony. So maybe their original idea was to have like like a big classic wedding scene. I guess. And like have the dogs at the altar with them. That's maybe, maybe. that's the only way I could think to make this more wedding-y. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> I I thought it was a little strange because like what is what what could they have changed? Uh, yeah. It didn't it, it this is what I would have imagined the first scene would have been. Mm-hmm. Is what was strange. That about was it. why I was so perplexed when you said that in the prequel because yeah. I was pretty sure I remembered it happening yeah. at a church. And I didn't obviously at the time, but then I was like, okay. So, and again, so you never know. Some of the, again, I try to source all that stuff. Most of the, all that information usually comes from Wikipedia, but I usually I always try to go through and source it to the actual source and figure out. It, I, I state whenever it's like IMDb trivia, which is could be completely made up, but this I'm yeah. pretty. This was on Wikipedia and it was sourced to a book from my memory about. Either the making of it was either from the making of this documentary or from a book about this time period or something. I can't remember at Disney. Um, but again, even that doesn't mean that it's necessarily entirely true. Right. It could have been a story. Somebody said that and who yeah. uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So uh the antagonist shows up after they get married. Uh we jump forward in time a little bit. Pongo and Perdita. Perdita is pregnant. She's going to have puppies, and Cruella Deville shows up. Uh, who is a fur-obsessed evil lady who wants puppies to make a fur coat. And I wanted to know if that is, if, if Cruella DeVille is in the book uh, and if she that is her same, you know, um, reason d'etre, raison d'etre, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and also, uh, this is where I asked if she had half white and half black hair, which we have now learned uh, in the Guess Who that she did. Yes. Um, but is her name, I mean, I guess we know this character exists based on that, but is, it, is her name Cruella DeVille and does she have the same goal? Yeah, I would say that the movie pretty much nails Cruella. Um, she has the same goal. Her name is Cruella DeVille. The, there's a, a couple different descriptions of her throughout because she changes her outfit every time we see her in the book, naturally. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the movie nails it here. Does she smoke an evil green long cigarette <laughs> thing? Um, I don't think it's ever mentioned that she has a, an evil green cigarette or any cigarette, okay. really. That was the thing that I, I, that was one of the things I distinctly remember as a child from this movie is the cigarette yeah. holder thing. The and like, not knowing and like what the that noxious was. green. Well, that, yeah. yeah, that obviously, but like specifically, I don't think this was probably the first time I ever saw like that cigarette holder thing, which were only popular for like a very brief yeah, period for like of time a for like a very brief like small amount of people even you know yeah. what i mean and so it was very interesting because i was like what the heck is that <laughs> um and i so, think when i was a kid i thought it was a really long cigarette yeah for some I, reason. Pr- I probably didn't even realize what it was like specifically but yeah it, it was interesting so it sounds like that was maybe a movie edition mm-hmm. which is funny because it you know often you might think that they would make the villain smoke but roger smokes constantly yeah he smokes a pipe he smokes a pipe it's not uh, noxious and green like no, because only villains smoke yes. noxious green tobacco. Yeah, they have the puppies. Uh, Krella is like, "Oh, you're having puppies? Great! I'll be back when they're born." Blah blah. Uh, so then uh, the, the the night comes where uh, Perdita gives birth to the puppies. In this big scene where the the maid keeps running up and down the steps or we're in and out of the room where she's having the puppies, kind of like a classic you know hospital birth scene or whatever. Um, where the the men are waiting outside, 
and she's announcing like how many puppies have been born and she's like counting up she's like there's another one and seven and eight and nine and eventually she gets to 15 like 15 puppies uh but then she brings one out wrapped in like a blanket i was like oh actually 14 this one didn't make it uh and i wanted to know if roger then if the, if that happens and then if roger or the whatever the main character's name is the 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 husband in the in the in the in the story uh brings it back to life by rubbing it actually yes this is from the book okay uh, they think that one of the puppies is stillborn i mean it appears to be yeah and then uh mr dearly they're the dearlies in the book and neither mm. of them have first names okay that we know of i mean i assume they do but we don't yeah. know them. and we talked about they probably changed that because of the darlings i think I read yeah that. probably um, and then uh, so Mr. Dearly um, like massages the puppy. I, I guess then this gets like gets the blood flowing and warms it up. I, I assume. it. Yeah, I, I think that is like I've seen. I think you do that in real yeah. life if you have a like, you know, there may be more advanced techniques, too. But like, you know, without really knowing anything, just trying to warm it up slash maybe give it like a very, very rudimentary and rough form of kind of like CPR by mm -hmm. just like squeezing it a little bit or whatever to maybe get the blood flowing. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, it, uh, I think it can actually work to at least to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, but he does that and the puppy comes to life. There you go. So then Cruella shows back up now that we have all 15 puppies. Uh, she shows back up and she just kind of insists on buying them even though they have never have not made any interest or not shown any interest in selling them. And then she's just like, no, I will buy them. And she keeps insisting she's going to buy them before Roger eventually puts his foot down and is like, look, they're not for sale. And then she gets all huffy and storms out. But it's such an interesting narrative choice. Just this weird insistence on buying these puppies. And I guess it makes sense. Cause we, we you know, we find out that she has these goals for mm -hmm. what to do with those puppies, but it's just, I don't know. It just, the, the whole like, because especially because, which I have a question about this for Lost and Adaptation about like the di what exactly is up with the dynamic between Cruella and yes uh, Anita in the film, which is a little like vague and kind of strange. Yes, <laughs> at why they are even <laughs> friends or what is going on here. Um, but she doesn't seem to be particularly good friends with them. She just shows up and demands her by their puppies, and it's such a strange thing. And I wanted to know if it's similar in the book, where she just kind of is like, "I'm going to buy your puppies," and they're like, "No," and she's like, "Yes, I am," and it's like, "What is happening?" Uh, no, it's not the same in the book. Um, so what happens in the book is that Cruella initially asks how long until the puppies can leave their mother. And then she's like, oh, how long until they leave their mother uh, in case I want to buy some? Very casual. Yeah. You know? And then she's told that they won't be for sale, but she doesn't, like, have a tantrum at that time mm. like she does in the movie. She just kind of bides her time and then has them stolen once they're old enough to be on their own. Yeah, okay. Um, one other thing that makes more sense in the book is that she doesn't conveniently show up right as the puppies are being born, mm -hmm. which is very dramatic in the movie because she like shows up in the doorway in a flash of lightning. Yes. Um, but it doesn't really make any sense. In the book, she's already at the house because the Dearlies were having a dinner party and they invited her out like of politeness. Like the puppies have been born? No, like they were having a dinner party and then the birth of the puppies oh, started. Oh, okay, And like all the other guests left ah. because they were like, Oh, well, you we deal don't, with that. Yeah, you yeah. deal with that. We'll leave. And Corella was hanging around like, so, yeah. puppies. Right, okay, I see. Uh, so after Roger refuses to sell them, she's like, fine, well, uh, guess what? I'm going to steal them. 
Uh, and I wanted to know if she has that same plan, if she just resorts to stealing them in the book, and if she hires two weirdo guys, to uh, the the bad batter, Baden brothers, mm-hmm. uh, to dognap the puppies. So she does hire somebody to hire to steal the puppies. It's kind of implied in the book that the people who stole the puppies are different. From the Baden brothers. Oh. It's, it's it's So it's explained in the book that the Baden brothers live at Hell Hall, like, free of rent in exchange for doing crimes for her, Is basically. Hell Hall the old DeVille? Yes. Okay. They do call it that in the movie. They call it Hell yeah, Hall? I don't remember At least that. once. I just remember them saying the old DeVille place yeah. or whatever. Um, but then later on in the book, she complains that it was really expensive to hire people to dognap the puppies. So to me, that kind of implies that she hired somebody else. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, she does. They do just dognap them. Yes. All right. uh, so then after they're kidnapped, uh, it is discovered and uh, Pongo and Perdita are very upset, but they have a plan, which is they're going to use the Twilight Bark uh, to, to get the word out to see if they can find the puppies. And this is interesting because I did not remember this is what this was. Because we talked about this in the prequel, that the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, uh, the book, mm-hmm. is uh, 101 Dalmatians to the Twilight Bark. It's I just, mean, no, it's just, I think it's just called the Twilight Bark. I thought, I, no, I could have swore it was 101 Dalmatians too, because we made fun of the, how terrible of a name it was. And I said 102 Dalmatians is a better name than that. I'm pretty sure it was 101 no, you Dalmatians were ma- you 2. you were making fun of the straight-to-VHS oh, animated sequel. Oh, maybe it was sequel, VHS. Which was 101 Dalmatians 2 Patches London Adventure. Okay, that's what, it, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, yes. that That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, so it's just called no, the Twilight No, the book Bark. sequel, it's either the Twilight Bark or the Twilight Barking. I can't remember okay. for sure now. Interesting. Anyways, at the time, I was like, that's a crazy title. What the heck? And Because mm-hmm. I didn't remember this. what, this, what that was. It just sounded like a... <clears throat> Uh, it's just a very strange term for not, you know, like with, with with zero context. It sounded way like darker and mysterious than what yeah. it ends up being, which is just in the evening as the sun's going down, the dogs bark and it becomes it's like it's basically like a, a giant whisper network, not even whisper network. But, you know, yeah, they just communicate throughout the city through like a barking to other dogs. And it becomes like a big, you know, network of, of dogs barking so that they can try to like share information and stuff like that. And I wanted to know if that came from the book and if that happens in this book with, again, with the title of the second one being what it was, I thought, well, maybe that's something from the second one that they pulled into this one or something. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to know if that came from this book because, again, because of the title of the second book being yeah. that. It does come from the book. Uh, the Twilight Bark is a system that all dogs use to pass pass information along. Okay. Based on the Wikipedia summary for the sequel, I am not 100% sure why the sequel novel is named for it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, <laughs> but it is from the book and it is the same thing as it is in the movie. It's like a, a information chain. It's just particularly strange to me to name the second book after a thing that happened in the first book that isn't like... I mean that it might come back in the second book. They probably use it. I'm sure, but in the second one, yeah, I, I don't know. It just it's. it's and again, I have not read that book. I've only read the Wikipedia summary, so right. I don't know how important it may or may not be in yeah. the second book. 
Yeah. Yeah. I get maybe it's maybe it features more prominently or is more important. Right. But it's pretty important in this one. I just it just seemed inter- like an interesting naming choice. Yeah. To take some element of your first book and name the second book that when it was already an important part of the first book. Well, OK, here's here's a theory, possibly. Maybe Dodie Smith wanted to call 101 Dalmatians the Twilight Bark. OK. But her publisher was like, nobody's going to know what yeah, that means. Right. So then when she wrote a sequel, she was like, well, now people know. No, no, now I people know that. what it means. I can use this. That could be. That could be. That's an interesting hypothesis. I, I could I could believe that. I, I could I could buy that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I have always really liked how the movie depicted the Twilight Bark, though, like the chain of communication, uh, especially as it leaves London and like makes its way through the countryside. I always thought it was interesting. It's interesting. I thought this part went a little too long that's fair this whole bit with all of this the twilight bark and and so so it goes on for like 10 minutes and it just keeps going and we keep and I, it's just like all right i got it. like i just felt like i get <laughs> what we're doing i don't need it to keep going quite as long as it did i found it a little annoying of it towards the end but overall it was fine it's fine uh, but at the towards the end of this of the the chain of communication we end up out in the countryside where there's a sheepdog named colonel and a cat named Sergeant Tibbs. And I I was trying to figure out if that was just their names or if there, there is some sort of, like, hierarchy within this farm. I, or, like, uh-huh. if there was any explanation. This is almost a lost adaptation. But if there's any other... If these characters exist in the book, is there any other explanation for their names and, like, why they're Colonel and Sergeant? Or is it literally mm-hmm. just their names? So there is a sheepdog named Colonel. And a cat that he calls Sergeant Tibbs. Uh, and they do help the puppies escape from Hell Hall. So they like fill the same yeah, role same within role. the narrative. The military ranking is not explained in the book. I do have a couple hypotheses. One is that the sheepdog's given name is Colonel. And he okay. just made it his whole personality. That that makes the most sense to me. Or that makes a yeah. lot of sense. I don't but know. But also it felt it feels kind of felt like kind of natural to me in the world of this story that there would be some kind of secret dog military. Like I could buy that. Yeah. No, I and I think I think those things aren't mutually exclusive. I think yeah. it's probably the first thing led to the second thing. Like I think it's probably <laughs> the dog if I was gonna you know, muse on it. I would think that maybe, yeah, the dog's name is Colonel. He kind of adopted the military aesthetic as mm-hmm. his whole personality because of his name. And so he, because I, I assume the cat's name is probably just Tibbs or whatever, but he calls him Sergeant Tibbs. And that's so like, mm-hmm. and, and he has created his own sort of like military, you know, uh, chain of command or whatever and yeah. like organization but just because he's kind of a weird old like yes and that's uh, definitely <laughs> also the impression that i got and there's a whole big long conversation about like the cat's name and like what the cat's name is because they call the cat tibbs and they call him sergeant or sergeant tibbs in the book but then the cat's also like actually my name's pussy willow mm. and there's a whole big long conversation about it that's not really important right at all um, but it's also mentioned, too, that the uh, colonel knows another dog who's like a brigadier general or something like that. Mm. So. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I, and we're also kind of in the golden era of post-war like war media, probably, yes. at least yeah. to some extent, where 
kind um, of getting to the end of it. Yeah, I would towards say, the end of it. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, we're still like this movie's sixty-one. Yeah, it's definitely towards the end, but it's still we're we're not you know we haven't reached the the sixties and the mm-hmm. kind of the deconstruction yeah, of, that. of all that. Yeah. yeah, and so it 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 actually I think because it is it's interesting now I forgot completely, but as I was thinking about it, another movie, another Disney movie that came out right around this time does almost the exact same thing, which is Jungle Book. Yes, where the elephants, right? Yeah, the have elephants like, have like, like a military. Uh, yeah, they're like, like a, a, a yeah, right, an yeah. army. Yeah, basically. and so I think that maybe part of that is just yeah, a, a thing <clears throat> that media kind of was doing was doing at the time because it was like a popular kind of just like a motif motif yeah. to include is like we're still coming off like kind of the 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 glory and high of the world war ii and like celebrating mm-hmm. the troops and all that and so just kind of working in the motif I, that would be a guess maybe as to why it because i thought it was interesting that this and um uh jungle book it shows up right and again it's not yeah it's not like it doesn't happen today even but yeah, it's just it, it was just interesting okay the, does the titular uh, 101 Dalmatians come from Cru- Cruella having bought slash stolen that many to make a fur coat? Is it when they get to Hell Hall, there's whatever 99 minus 15 is, uh, 84 mm-hmm. um, other Dalmatians there. Uh, and they're all there because Cruella wants to make fur coats. Is yeah, that where the title is? It, is it why it's 101 Dalmatians? Is that that's how many she has bought slash stolen? That's yeah, that's how I mean, how many we end up with. Okay. At the end is 101. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. Um, in the book, it is more explicitly stated that she wants to start a Dalmatian fur farm mm. so that she can manufacture and sell Dalmatian fur coats. Yeah. Although it seems to me like. This is a very niche audience that she would be selling to. I feel like even people who wear fur probably wouldn't be down for a dog fur coat. You would think my other thought would be that maybe she would lie about what it is. Yeah, she would probably just lie and call it something else. Yeah. Would you know what I mean? Like that maybe would be like what her plan was potentially. Because I do, I agree that I think yeah. that even because like that... I, you know, I'm not saying it's right, <laughs> right. But the way that we perceive dogs is Versus different than the way that we perceive or yeah wild animals or whatever yeah yeah that are that are not we yeah. we tend to attribute personhood and humanity to dogs much more yes. than to other animals, and I I just feel like. I feel like she would have a rough go of it if she was actually trying to sell dog fur marketing coats. and selling them yes. as dog fur. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But it, uh, it seems like it. But maybe there's a historical precedent we're unaware of. I don't actually know. It wouldn't anything horrible like that. I it would not surprise me to believe it has existed. Uh, so uh, it, at Hell Hall, there is this very strange scene. I, I got to admit, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. I it, mm-hmm. Not that I disliked it. It just kind of happened. And I was like, yeah, that was fine. Like, it was like, Fair I enough. just didn't, nothing really in it. Uh, other, like, it just didn't really. And there was, like, quite a bit of where I'm like, what are we even doing here? And this is one of those scenes where, again, it's like, it's fine. It's just, uh, I don't know. The There's this scene where they're they're all hanging out at the Hell Hall. Uh, and the two bad guys, the Badden brothers, are like watching TV, and there's a TV show on, which TV actually makes quite a bit, of, shows up quite a bit in this, which I assume yeah. is because TVs were becoming more popular. Like yes, more people were getting TVs, so they were like showing up in media more or whatever, um, because the dogs watch TV a lot. But the Baddens are watching TV, and they're watching a show, which is I can't remember the real version of the show. There's a real version of the show where people try to guess like um, what a person like 
does or like what's interesting about them. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a remake of it on Nickelodeon when I was a kid uh, that starred like cast members of like SNL shows as like the panel judges like trying. It was called like can't remember the name of that one, but it had a big board with like a head that like words would roll over when they guessed. No. Do you remember that at all? No, I, I it would have did, like Keenan Thompson I was have on cable. Oh, okay. <laughs> Like Keenan Thompson and, and like a bunch of people from like uh, all that and stuff were uh-huh. on it. I can't remember what that show was called, but that was like a basically a kid's version of this show from like the 50s and 60s. That was basically they would get some person out there, mysterious person, and then the panel would try to like figure out what's interesting about them. Right. Like they would have a weird job or they've done something interesting or whatever. And they basically kind of play like 20 questions to figure out what they did. And this show is basically that, except specifically for criminals yes (laughs) and it is like what crime did they commit and they're interviewing this person and the the criminals the baden brothers know this guy he is a an old partner or somebody they've worked with before and he's on this game show and there's this panel of people trying to guess what crime he committed and i wanted to know if any of this came from the book because i thought it was all so interesting again it's clearly kind of doing like a, a um a little bit of like a, a spoofy like it's clearly again it's spoofing a real show and just kind of taking yeah, it's doing a little bit of a satire something here. that contemporary yes. audiences would like, have been uh, very familiar uh, with yeah, yeah. yeah exactly i get it like i get what you know it's like if you had a, a, a like a weird silly version of like who wants to be a millionaire yeah or something in a in a show in the early 2000s or mid 2000s or whatever but it is it again it just the whole thing was a little strange and i wanted to know if it came from the book So the crime game show is from the book, which surprised me. I was not expecting it to be. Although one of their old associates is not on the show in the book. Uh, They do start discussing how killing and skinning that many puppies would probably be an interesting enough crime to get them on the show, which is dark. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. It almost feels a little bit like it's interesting because it kind of feels like the this the it's knowing now that the book did it uh a a critique of like reality tv almost like if this was transported to a modern day maybe who wants to be a millionaire wouldn't be the right it almost feels like kind of a satirization of in a modern book they might do like a weird version of like big brother or something Mm -hmm. where it was like kind of like what squid game is for example where it's like a, a a reality game show that has like these really extreme weird stakes kind of commenting on how weird this whole like yeah. cultural yes. thing of like, like isn't this weird this is weird, weird right we, you like, guys watch people like you know struggle and, and and desperately claw for money while we all like laugh and have fun and i think this is doing that same thing yeah it feels like making it be about crime and like super beyond the pale weird mm-hmm. like is he a murderer is he you know what i mean it's clearly satire like it's clearly kind of doing social commentary and i just thought it was really interesting because the the thing it's social commentarying is like a very mundane like let's get a person on and figure out what's interesting about them and like a fun like (laughs) game like kind of like board game like game show kind of way it's not at all like you know it's just interesting that people would have been to me that that people would be doing satire of something like that yeah, whereas or it seems like fairly innocuous, fairly mundane and innocuous. Whereas you know, I get you know going after 
you know, uh, Big Brother or reality shows yeah. where a bunch of money is on the line. And or like, something like The Bachelor. Yes. Like dating Like type super shows. shallow, yeah. like, like kind of like weird, you know, manufactured drama shows. This does not seem like that at all. <laughs> and so it's very interesting that it seems like writers and, you know, authors and stuff were, were going after things like that even back then. <laughs> it's just very funny to me. Uh, so they are able to escape from Hell Hall uh, after a bunch of hijinks, but they're they're now making their way through the countryside. And, and at this point, the movie kind of turns into like an Odyssey story where we, we we go on this big cross-country adventure and meet a cast of interesting characters as they make their stops and kind of get help along the way. And I wanted to know if the book that follows a similar narrative route where we we end up eventually going on this big kind of cross-country trek and running and getting little like, you know, scenes where we run into mm -hmm. unique interesting characters uh, there's actually even more of that in the book that does not surprise me yeah. actually uh pongo and and his wife interact with multiple dogs on their way to find the puppies which we don't really see in the movie yeah um and then there are even more pit stops along their journey back as well mm -hmm. more on that later all right uh, one of the people they run into, or people, one of the, the, the dogs they run into on this trip is basically Lassie. Collie shows up and uh -huh. is like, come with me yeah, if you want to live. <laughs> and takes him, because there's a blizzard on, and takes him to like a barn where they hang out with some cows for the night to get out of the cold. And I wanted to know if Lassie saves the dogs from a blizzard in the book. Um, so interestingly, despite my, my previous statement that there was more of this type of storytelling in the book than the movie this specific scene is not from the book hmm. um so they never make their way through a blizzard in the book it's cold the entire time and it does start to snow like right around the very end of their journey but mm -hmm. there's no blizzard they do at one point interact with a collie but it's during the scene where they disguise themselves with the soot and then the other aspect of this that comes from the book is the puppies drinking milk from the dairy cows Except in the book, they do that before they leave the dairy farm that Colonel and Sergeant Tibbs live on. Oh, okay. So w the 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 elements are there. Yeah, the elements are there. They're just kind of moved around and shuffled around. But this like specific scene is not from the book. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but speaking of uh, the part with the soot, um, do they use soot slash ash or whatever? to disguise themselves as Labradors because they need to make an escape uh, and they're very recognizable, obviously, as Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. So they cover themselves in soot so that they all just look dark. Yes. Um, so, which, uh, you know, and uh, in the movie, sure. yeah, the movie's doing a thing where our villains are very stupid intentionally. Right. So, because obviously this would not work in real life. If you saw the 101 dogs that you were looking for, now they're just a different <laughs> color. You'd be like, wait a second. Um, but yeah, obviously that's the point yeah. is that they're, they're idiots and they, oh, they over underestimate the dogs. Con I mean, there's like right. explicit and the, dialogue the movie, about it. And the movie does. Yes. It kind of winks at it by having yeah. one of the bad ends be like you don't suppose they all yeah. rolled in the soot and disguised themselves and then the other ones immediately like you idiot dogs aren't that smart yeah and then there's another line even before that where they say yeah. like the same thing like oh dogs don't plan or like you know they, yeah. they have multiple lines about like we could figure this out except we we clearly don't think dogs could we they kind of have like yeah tongue-in-cheek lines about how dogs are stupid and obviously they wouldn't do the thing that they're clearly actively doing so <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but they do use such to disguise themselves um and the logic is the same 
they're so recognizable they stick out like a sore thumb as a bunch of dalmatians so if we disguise ourselves we'll be less noticeable i'm not sure how you could make an army of 100 dogs less noticeable Again, it's but, silly but it's fine yeah it's a fun it's a fun scene and it, it, it yeah it yeah, it's obviously would not work in no. reality but um i will say that in the book they don't specifically say that they're disguising themselves as labradors they're just disguising themselves as black dogs okay uh and then we get a big chase scene they get into this moving van that is heading to london and but at the last second they're revealed and corella and the the baddens give chase in their separate vehicles and it's big long uh you know chase scene but corella is just slamming into the moving truck like with her car yeah and we we, we cut into the cab of the guy driving this moving van. who has no idea what's going no on. idea what's no 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 idea about any of he's this. oblivious to everything that is transpiring he's just he is about being attempting to be run off the road by this crazy woman with half white <laughs> and half black hair uh in a giant uh luxury like rolls royce or yes. whatever and uh, he, he just cuts to him and he goes, crazy woman driver. <laughs> and I wanted to know. And we both burst out laughing. I lost that it. Classic. Uh, just love a little bit of old timey misogyny in the form of, of a joke. It's, it's oh, I, he's not. He's not wrong. No, she he's is just crazy, accurately describing what is happening. But you can tell that the movie is <laughs> yes. definitely playing on, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, uh, misogynistic trope that women cannot drive or are terrible drivers or whatever um and i wanted to know if that line came from the book so this is this is not from the book at all it's a a movie edition they do manage to hitch a ride in a moving van back to london in the book but there isn't a chase scene Mm, and cruella doesn't try to run the van off the road are they revealed is their ploy revealed or does it just work the the soot you know what i mean or are they it it just works and they get in the van and they get yeah okay and then Cruella just fucks off. Like, what is <laughs> I mean, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, which is what she does in the movie, to be yeah. fair. It's not, she just crashes. She could still show back up and try to get him again, yes. but she seemingly doesn't, except for maybe in the sequels, I assume. Probably. I don't know. I have not seen the sequels, <laughs> so I don't know. But um, I, I love this scene in the movie, though. It's so ridiculous and funny to me. Like, and imagine being that van driver. Like, what is happening? What's happening right now? No idea. He's just having the worst day all of a sudden. I I love that at the end of that scene, after the the Baden's van crashes into Cruella's car and it basically like pushes it off of the van. Yeah. And they both roll down the hill. I love that the van just keeps going. Yeah. He's like, nah. He's like, not my problem. Not my problem at (laughs) all. Something clearly was going on with that. I am not getting involved. I do not have time. Nope. That is not my business. Not my business. All right. My final question for better or uh, was that in the book is uh, we find out that at the end, Roger, we found out at the beginning, Roger is like a struggling songwriter. He was, you know, he's, he's working on music the whole time, but uh, his big hit that he comes up with is the Cruella DeVille song. Uh, and I wanted to know if uh, in the book that happens where at the end of the film, Cruella DeVille, he's able to sell it. It blows up. It's playing on the radio and they now have enough money and royalties to buy a big estate in the countryside so that they can keep all 101 Dalmatians. Is that how the book ends? So <laughs> Roger, the husband, is not a songwriter in the book. He is an accountant, maybe a mm. businessman. Okay. I, whatever exactly he is, 
they're already rich when the book starts, so not a problem. Okay. Um, but and I forgot to bring the book in here because I was gonna read you a short passage from it, but I'll just describe it because it's in the bedroom with the cats. Okay. So we're told when the book opens that Mr. Dearly is a businessman and he works in the city and he recently helped the government with a problem. Um, and he solved the national debt. And as a reward, the government was like, you don't have to pay income tax anymore. So they're really rich. That's That would not make you rich. <laughs> I don't listen. I'm not the one making this up. <laughs> I read that and I was like, what? <laughs> Not that it wouldn't, I mean, maybe the thing, maybe income tax was through the roof in the, whatever, <laughs> in the 50s or whenever this is set. But just having, like, it'd be great not to pay income tax anymore, but you're not, I, I we're not rich if all of a sudden we stop paying income tax. But then we're just a little, also, have a little more money. At the end of the book, he apparently did it again. And this time, Instead of giving him, like, his life free from income tax, the government just gave him a bunch of money. So now they're rich and they don't have, he doesn't have to work. Okay. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> but he's not a songwriter. Yeah. He just solved the national debt. He's probably just a nightmare, like, fucking, uh, <laughs> uh like, economist, or, like, just, I don't know, yeah, I don't know. That's a weird, <laughs> interesting choice. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I like that the book makes or the movie makes him a struggling artist. That's more identifiable to me. <laughs> All right. I had one question for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow. Was lost. Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So I wanted to know, because uh, this is why I mentioned having this question. This is the maybe the most confusing thing in the movie to me, which I'm sure goes is explored in great detail in the Cruella movie with Emma <laughs> Stone, probably. But I, they mentioned that Cruella and Anita are old schoolmates. I think Roger, when Cruella shows up the first time, says, your old classmates here or whatever, yeah. something like that. And... I couldn't quite figure out what their whole deal was. Like, they don't seem to like Anita doesn't seem to like Cruella that yeah. much. They don't seem to really be friends. But Cruella just kind of shows up randomly and is mm -hmm. like, hello, I'm here. And it's like, what is what's their deal? <laughs> what's going on with them? Why does Anita put up with her? Is it just because Cruella is kind of this weird, like, you know, pushy type A nightmare person. And Anita's just kind of like lets her. Yeah, like just is is kind of too meek to like, right? Cut her off and force her out of her life, or like, what's the deal? Yeah. What's their deal? So I can actually answer this. Okay, um, for me, the book's handling of this element is maybe the biggest advantage it has over the movie. And not that two people who seem to have nothing in common can't be friends. Yeah, but without any backstory to their relationship, just raises a lot of questions. I just and again, I think for a kids movie, it's fine. She's just the villain. Yes. She needs to show up and be there. Yes. Whatever. I, right. I, I'm not that and worried I, I about think, it. I think I assumed growing up that they were, had been like college roommates or something. I think I probably just 
I probably didn't even guess what she I just knew she like as a kid I probably didn't even put together what they're like that yeah she was just the weird old evil lady who showed up to take the dogs like it didn't matter who she <laughs> right. was you know what I mean like, but the yeah. movie does kind of imply that they aren't just friends but they're like close friends right because Cruella keeps coming like comes and visits her like Roger knows her I I don't know if I would say that that implies they're close friends but it definitely implies that they're that they like see each other see each semi other regularly, regularly yeah. and like talk to each but, other. But it's hard. Again, I, there's so little of what that is why I'm asking this question. The movie gives us so little that I truly don't know. I honestly, you couldn't, I couldn't even tell you maybe Anita does like her. I don't think yeah. she does, but maybe like it, 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 we just get so little of it and it just seems weird because they don't seem like they would get along and the movie gives us zero explanation or zero insight into their relationship, right. like you said, that I, I don't think it implies they're close friends. I don't think it implies anything about their relationship other than they know each other from the past or whatever. But yeah. All right. So the book handles this differently. Uh, Mrs. Dearly and Cruella did go to school together. Okay. But they weren't friends. Okay. In fact, Mrs. Dearly specifically says she was no friend of mine. I was scared of her. Okay. But they did know each other okay i think you could get that out of the movie like that's kind of the vibe i get from the movie honestly mm -hmm. slightly it's again it doesn't not really because it's not really explained but that's kind of like if you had to ask me like maybe it's kind of what i was getting at like maybe they're acquaintances and she just is too scared of her to like yeah remove her from her life or whatever so additionally what helps in the book is that instead of cruella just like showing up at their house yeah in the book they initially bump into her while they're walking the dogs mm, okay so the vibe is much more like running into someone that you haven't seen since high school and trying to be polite about it that works way yeah. better. That would have yes. worked way better. I think better. it makes way more sense than the idea that Cruella and Anita are old friends who still like yeah. semi-regularly yeah. interact yeah. with no. each other. Yeah. Having them bump into her out in the in the city or whatever, and yeah. and then her being like, oh, your dogs are beautiful, blah, blah, like that. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, kind of bumping into somebody from high school that you knew. Yeah. That then, makes yes. more sense. And then I have no problems with it. It's, yeah, her just, like, showing up at their house being like, I'm here. And Roger's yeah. like, oh, God, that lady's here again. I'm like, wait, what is this deal? Like, what is going on? Like, this is old, this woman that you hate just shows up at your house? Like, what is happening? I know. I, the book's version of that makes way more sense. Uh, and I think just that slight change would have made it. Again, you don't really have to change anything. Just have them on a walk one day and then yeah. they bump into her. And then the rest of the movie could play out. Similar, yeah, like, exactly pretty much the exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That does that does help. <laughs> All right. Time to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Okay, so in the movie we have the nanny character, right? In the book, we actually have two nanny characters. Oh. Because Mr. Dearly had a nanny oh, and Mrs. Like Dearly like a, uh, had a nanny. Yes. What and you then call it? Uh, what's the show? No, they never mind. They didn't combine their nannies. What am I talking about? They specifically had one named Alice. What is the show? The, what are you talking about? The show from the 70s, the Brady Bunch. Yeah. They didn't combine nannies because they only had one. Maybe they did. Maybe she morphed into one. <laughs> Alice is like a combination of two nannies that just like. <laughs> 
amalgamized. Well, this is kind of what the movie did, kind of. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're not really because that character in the movie is not really anything like the characters in the book. Right. Not that the characters in the book have a lot going on. But anyway, so there's two nanny characters in the book, and I totally get why the movie combined them. It makes perfect sense. But I found this so interesting in the book. Because there was some un- unexpected and probably unintentional playing with gender in the book. Really? Yes. So they have these two nannies and they're like, well, what are we going to do? We don't need two nannies. Right. But neither of them want to let one of their nannies right. go because they've, they've been with them since childhood. They're yeah. their nannies. So one nanny is like, well, I'll train to be a cook. And the other nanny is like, and I'll train to be a butler. Wait, time out. They're nan. <laughs> Hold on. I just had to pause for a second. Because uh-huh. in the movie, she's like a maid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why? They still, they're adults and their nannies still live with them? I think this is a British thing. Okay. I'm <laughs> losing my mind. Because I just, I just, <laughs> like, it took me a second and I just now clocked that you kept saying nannies and not maids. And I, because in my head, I think I was just automatically replacing it with maids. And I was like, wait, why are they, they're adults and their nannies are still working for what and they don't even have kids because then that was the other thing right. i was like oh and then i'm like wait they don't even have kids so it doesn't even make sense because that's what i was thinking like the brady bunch thing where they right. both have, they have kids they have already kids. And yeah then, yeah so i i listen <laughs> i think this is a british thing and the reason i think that is because i most often encounter this type of like nanny character in british okay. media yeah, yeah. i don't know if nanny in this sense means exactly the same thing that we might think it means probably more like maid maybe yeah yeah. um and i also am not sure like if if you have a nanny when you're a kid and then that nanny just like stays on as you get older i'm not sure what exactly that role would shift to but maybe some of our british listeners can help out i'm wondering if it is like they start as a nanny and then it shifts to like a maid role like yeah. like as you grow up they they shift away and they become more just like a servant and obviously they're not like you know changing your clothes and like right tucking you in or whatever i mean maybe, may- maybe. I, don't maybe. I don't know yeah. This also seems like a very uh, wealthy person kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, definitely does. Um, but anyway, so in the book, there's two nannies. And so they decide that one of them's going to train to be a cook. The other one's going to train to be a butler. Okay. All right. And then when the one nanny becomes a butler, she starts wearing pants. And... <laughs> she's like i'm gonna do my best to explain this um and then mrs dearly is like wouldn't a dress with an apron be better and the nanny's like no no you can't be a butler unless you're wearing pants the apron is a good idea though and then she just starts wearing like a frilly made apron over her butler suit and I was like, this kind of rocks. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely interesting. Like, this sure. is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I was also a little bit mad because in the book, the two dogs get together and the two, like, humans get together. And I was like, oh, come on. Don't be a coward. Have the nannies get together. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. That would be great. That's the modern, the modern retelling of this needs to do that for sure. <laughs> That's really interesting. 
it's also very funny to me because now it makes me question even more even further what the heck these nannies were doing if one of them needed to train to be a cook i don't know what are you doing for these adults if you're not like that's like you know one of the main things i would imagine like if as an adult if you had a servant that would be one of their primary cooking that if i had a servant that's what i would want them to do you would assume so it's just i mean again obviously there's cleaning and there's other stuff to be right. doing so but it's just it's just very interesting to me that what a strange one of you brit bongers who listen to our show please explain this nonsense i'm sure you can't because it's probably a weird outdated thing yeah that doesn't really apply to 99 percent yeah of British people. and probably only applies to like a very specific yes. tax bracket yeah um not that the dearlies are paying taxes, but that's true. <laughs> um, that's why they're rich. Because apparently the, the effective tax rate in Britain at the time was like 80% or something. Uh we get to see Cruella's weird mansion that she lives in in London in the book. And she's got like the whole thing is like made out of red marble, and they say that it looks like raw meat, which I thought was really weird and interesting. Yeah, that would be gnarly. She also has a white Persian cat in the book, like a fancy cat. Um, and she hates the cat, but she keeps it because it's valuable. It's a status symbol. Mm. And the cat also hates her because Cruella drowns her kittens every time she has them. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, really, we're like we're going hard on this yeah. um, in the book. The cat does later get revenge by letting the puppies inside Cruella's house and they destroy all of the fur stock. Mm. So their fur business is ruined. Um, And then the cat goes to live with the Dearlies and their 101 dogs. That would have been fun. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, When they hitch a ride on the moving van in the book, it's slightly different than it is in the movie. Same basic, same basic idea. I assume, just real quick, I bet they probably didn't include the cat because they felt like it was too close to like some other. What's the one? Isn't there one of the Disney villains has a cat? Um, Cinderella's stepmother has a cat. Yeah. Maybe they were just worried it was like. Uh, Yeah. And I I mean, they're also, they got rid of some other like extra characters yeah. too like i get it yeah. um but i do think the cat would have been a fun addition. no i agree i agree i do yeah um so when they hitch a ride on the moving van there's a staffordshire terrier that's already aboard the van who helps them and like is riding oh. with them and <laughs> pongo asks his opinion on what they should do about cruella because even though they've escaped pongo is worried that she's just going to restart her dalmatian right. fur farm so he asks he asks this stafford this terrier like he's like what do you think we should do and this dog is literally like why not simply kill her i'll help all right comrade <laughs> terrier <laughs> this book got real weird at the end <laughs> Oh, that's um, good though. And then at the very end of the story, uh, the big house in the country that they end up buying is actually Hell Hall, and they turn it into essentially a Dalmatian sanctuary instead of a fur farm. It, I that I it was funny when we were watching the movie. I was like, oh, I bet that's what they do, and then it's just never. Yeah, it's, we don't yeah, get to that part, yes. but that would make perfect sense if yeah. they bought the old yeah the old manor that the the old Deville place, and then yeah. It's kind of what I that was my head canon, so it's interesting it to know actually that's actually is what, canon. The, what the book does. So. <laughs> All right, let's uh, find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one 
lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I like Roger and Anita better than the Dearlies. Not that they're like super fascinating in the movie, but they have far more personality, especially Roger. Yeah. I think that making him kind of like a goofball musician was a really good call. Yeah. Anita, as you yeah, said Anita earlier. doesn't really get to yeah, do much. But. Yeah, she doesn't do much, but um, it's like still more interesting than the humans in the book. In the book, Cruella is actually married to a furrer, furrier, a guy who runs a fur business. Yeah. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Right. But also, she just screams unmarried rich woman. She really does. So I, I support the movie's decision <laughs> to just go with that. Yeah. In the book, Pongo's wife is called Mrs. Mrs. Mrs basically. Right. Um, and okay. So she cannot produce enough milk to feed 15 puppies. So they have to get a dog wet nurse. Enter Perdita who ran away from the farm she lived on because her owner sold her eight puppies out from under her. Mm. So there are two female dogs in the book. Okay. There's Mrs. And there's Perdita. And I think the movie's choice to simply combine these characters was a really good one. Perdita doesn't even actually go with them to rescue the puppies in the book, so she isn't even in much of it. So, like, this makes sense. Yeah. Also, who wants to explain a dog wet nurse? Yeah, explaining a dog <laughs> wet nurse would be... A nightmare. Co complicated. Yeah. And then there's, like, this whole recurring thing where Mrs. will occasionally worry that Pongo is like into Perdita. And like, I don't I don't know if we want to explore that in the movie either. I was going to say, I'm a little disappointed that Disney in 1960 didn't have the gall, <laughs> the cojones to introduce a, a dog triad, a dog polyamorous <laughs> relationship. It's not even in the book, though, because no, Pongo know, is know. not into Perdita. Yes. He only loves his wife. There you go. Um, but I I just thought that the book made it a little convoluted for no real reason. Yeah, and like I said, definitely, like you said, definitely don't need to try to explain what a wet nurse yeah. is to, like in a kid's movie. It's just like too complicated. Yeah. yeah. I liked that the movie does the classic anxious father trope with Pongo and Roger while the puppy, puppies are being born. I thought that was cute. Um, Horace and Jasper are pretty much the same, except in the book, their names are Horace and Saul. And I like Horace and Jasper better. Mm -hmm. I think they're better names. Also, I really like the character design of them in the movie. Yes. I, I think it's so good. Like they're goofy and cartoony, but they're still very sinister yeah, looking. I love the, the tall one, how his legs are so gay. Yeah. Like his, his all legs yes. in, a, in a way that is very comical. But also kind of yeah, creepy. Yeah, but kind of creepy, yeah. I like that the movie actually shows the puppies being stolen. Um, that happens, like, off screen mm. in the book. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, like, a much-needed action-slash-drama beat to kind of get things rolling into the main part of the story. Mm -hmm. I thought the movie made the good choice overall to truncate the Odyssey storyline, um, where they're, like, traveling and meeting everyone. 
just hit a couple high points, interact with a few interesting characters and keep the story moving. The book I thought kind of dragged in the second half and all of the separate encounters really started to like bleed together. I had to really go and like comb back through the book to see if there was actually a Kali in it when yeah. I was answering that question because I could not remember. Yeah. I was like, I was sitting there. I was like, I think there's a Kali, but I am not for sure. Um, and then lastly, my final note here, uh, there were also a couple of, let's say, dated moments mm -hmm. in the book. Mm -hmm. um, not surprising. It was written in the 50s. Um, but there's a scene where Mrs. can't tell her left from her right. And then Pongo and the other male dog that they're with laugh in a very masculine way about it laugh in a masculine yes way. that is a direct quote from the book they laugh in a very masculine way that's a, a very weird yes yeah uh there's also a brief scene where the dogs have a run-in with a group of romani people naturally not referred to as romani right um that leaned into some stereotypes um it is a very brief scene mm -hmm. You know, on on the scale of like awful portrayals, it probably ranks probably not, closer not, to the bottom. Yeah, not terrible. But you know, not great either. Not great. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and talk about a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. The dogs referring to the humans as their pets instead of the other way around. Yep. That's something from the book. Uh, Cruella has a specific line. Um, I live for furs. I worship furs. Mm -hmm. uh, they do have 15 puppies. Cruella calls the puppies mongrels and white rats because they don't have spots yet mm -hmm. right when they're born. Uh, the puppies do like watching TV in the book. And I like that the show that they're watching first in the movie is like a like a Rin Tin Tin type of a spoof. Yeah, it's called Thunder. Or something yeah, like I thought that, that was interesting. A couple of the named puppies are directly from the book. We have um, Lucky with the horseshoe-shaped spots, uh -huh. um, Patch with one black ear, and Rolly, who's always hungry, um, the fat one. The chubby Yeah, the chubby, chubby puppy. puppy. Um, both the book and the movie imply that part of the reason Corella steals these puppies, even though all of the others were legally obtained, is because they were initially denied to her, and she can't have that. Um, Cruella calls them up to say how sorry she was to hear about the puppies being stolen. That mm. happens in both the book and the movie. Yeah. Um, truly psychopath behavior. Yeah. Also, I think it's implied she's like covering. Yes. She, she, yeah. She thinks yeah. that they'll she, yeah. won't suspect her if she like calls them. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know. Which is like a, a kind of a typical crime thing. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, it's often a plot point. In, or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the old DeVille place is called Hell Hall, we uh -huh. mentioned, nicknamed that. Um, they initially think that they'll have more time to get the puppies out of Hell Hall, but then Cruella comes by and says, oh, no, you have to kill them right then that night, um, speeding up the timeline. And then there's a specific line that one of the Baddens says when she's telling them that she doesn't care how they kill the puppies. Uh, we don't have any ether either. Mm. Little wordplay. Yeah. All right, let's get to a few odds and ends before the final verdict. I thought the opening credits were fun. They're not, yeah. they're kind of like, 
random. Yeah. But they're like fun. Yeah. They're like playful. Like somebody like, had fun with them. Yeah. Like kind of just doing weird, interesting <laughs> animations and stuff. Like it's just they're fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them. And you also see it's like kind of the build, like the the this what you're seeing kind of relates to what the credits of the people are. Like yeah. You see like the scenes being kind of drawn or whatever, and like certain elements of what like when it shows like the, I can't even remember a specific example now. I, but when it, it when they're when they're showing like the um the people who did the music, there are like Dalmatian spots that become like notes, music notes, yeah. and there's like one where it's like they're talking about like the scene either the background i don't know there's some other there's whatever the credits of the specific people they're showing usually the scene kind of like reflects like Mm -hmm. what that person would have worked on in some way that i I just thought it was interesting and and like well done yeah maybe maybe my favorite part of the movie actually (laughs) um something that's interesting to me about this movie is that it's set in or very close to when it was made like the 50s 60s Which is kind of unusual for a Disney animated feature. It doesn't happen a lot. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another. Yeah. The Aristocats? I think the Aristocats is set in like the 20s. Mm, it's okay. like a jazz era Yeah, I think movie. you're right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, but another thing visually, the, the I thought the city backgrounds in this were really cool. Yes. Like, honestly, the all of the, the backgrounds movie. in this, like, they have a lot of personality and a distinct style um, in a way that some of the other films from this time period, I think specifically Jungle Book I mentioned, I wasn't super, mm-hmm. maybe, I may be making, I may be mistaking that. But, um, yeah, I thought the backgrounds in this were really neat and just, like, they're very, like, cluttered and chaotic, but not in yeah, a way that's, like... Yeah, they have kind of, like... Like a scratchy look to them, yeah. but not messy in the way that some other films of this era look kind of messy. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I, I, again, I just thought they were really cool. I like the the city all looks really interesting whenever they're showing the city, like build the buildings mm-hmm. and stuff, and like the very kind of it, it's all very specific. Again, it all has a very distinct style. It's all very clearly designed to have a look and a feel, and it isn't just like a literal representation of. Yeah, like yeah, it's a very specific art direction. Yeah. Oh, I thought of another one that um, is contemporary to when it was made, I think, maybe. Oliver and Company. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I just thought of another <laughs> one. <laughs> also an animal movie. Um, uh, and then some of the modern ones. Um, the Specifically, um, isn't Lilo and Stitch probably basically when it Yeah, came yeah, out? yeah. Like roughly, so roughly, contemporary. yeah. Anyways, um. Also, one it noted that as as an uh, a now older, wiser woman, <laughs> I, Roger Radcliffe is the ultimate in Disney men. <laughs> I screw them princes. I give me a songwriter who brings puppies back to life. It's fair. I get it. Although, I will say, I mean, Cruella de Vil, obviously a classic Disney song. But if I had a friend that you sang a mean song about whenever she came over, I'm not sure I'd appreciate that. If you had a friend that was an evil psychopath, I might. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. It's not the nicest thing in the world, but also he's singing it about literally an evil puppy mill running yes. nightmare person. So, like, yeah. maybe don't have that person as a friend. I don't know. I just think it's funny. No, I agree. <laughs> She just has a friend that he sings a mean song about when she comes to visit. 
Uh, one other thing that I appreciate about this movie's art style is that Pongo and Perdita look largely the same. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do the, like, weirdly feminine animated female animal yeah, no, they thing. Didn't. Yeah, which they look- I, I don't think be- really became that much of a thing until later that we started, like, seeing that crop up as yeah. much. But I appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> appreciated that Perdita didn't have boobs. <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I cannot lie here. This is going to crack some people up, I'm sure. But I legitimately forgot why the movie was called 101 Dalmatians. In my head, before we watched this movie, (laughs) on my life, if you would have asked me, I would have told you it's called 101 Dalmatians because that's how many Dalmatians that Perdita has. (laughs) In my head, I thought there was just like a magic realism thing, uh-huh. like conceit to that specific thing where she just has she 101 just, puppies. Just, and this like never commented on. And it's never on. really explained or commented on. It's just this ridiculous thing where she just has 100 or 99 puppies or whatever. Uh, and then I was like, oh, no. OK, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. They uh, they find them. And yeah, because uh, Corella just been stockpiling them. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah um so when when cruella is uh demanding to buy the puppies and they tell her no that they're not for sale um and she's like don't be silly you can't possibly afford to feed them and i was like you know that's actually a good point like i'm not saying they should be made into coats but these people clearly cannot afford to keep 17 high maintenance high energy dogs well and Mar- even if even if they could afford it you cannot that your life would be a nightmare. Yes. 17 Dalmatians. 17 Dalmatians. Like just, it, unbelievably nightmarish. Like, unless you live. <laughs> yeah. Unless you live on a farm and you just let them. Right. Like, run for. Like, I you, mean, even still. Even still. Yeah. It's a lot. But I, I'm saying that would at least be doable. Like. Yeah. Feasible. Like, they live in a townhouse in London. Like. Yes. <laughs> not, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You're going to have 17 dogs in your in your townhouse. <laughs> You're going to get arrested and the yeah. dogs are going to get seized is what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Uh, there is a line where they mentioned that that Cruella had been investigated by Scotland Yard so that like because because Roger is insistent that Cruella is involved in the puppy stealing and somebody says. Well, she's been investigated by Scotland Yard, and I just love the idea of Scotland Yard investigating f- fifteen puppies being stolen. Like, they, truly, how quaint! Like, is that a, <laughs> like they, they not have anything better to do than investigate? I, I, maybe it was a slow crime week. Well, it, clearly, because it's like on front page news. <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> which maybe. I, I mean, to be fair, I guess if something like that got enough press, maybe the police would have to. Yeah. address it maybe yeah at uh, least to some extent yeah. it's just very very funny because specifically you think of scotland yard as like the maybe the i always thought of scotland yard as like very specific like higher like that's like your case gets elevated to scotland yard like right. that's not like the local cops coming out and being like you know what i mean i don't right. know maybe it is just kind of a generic term catch-all term for like and, or and also it's probably they, meant as a joke as well honestly and, and maybe they wanted something that like americans would recognize as being like yeah. uniquely british yeah. yeah it's also like i said actually thinking it's probably also kind of a joke like yeah the, the inherent silliness of scotland yard and in investigating some puppies going missing but 
Uh, we mentioned in the prequel episode that um, one of the directors of this liked to reuse animation um, during Reitherman. his tenure. Yes, Wolfgang Reitherman. Um, and I did spot at least two dogs from Lady and the Tramp during the Twilight Bark scene, uh, as well as some animation that gets reused in Oliver and Company. So There you go. I thought the river, the winter river scene when Pongo and Perdita are on the way to find the puppies. Yeah. I thought the river looked really cool. Like I was yeah, like, it wow, really it's good. like really intense and, and kind of feels like legitimately dangerous and like, yeah, it was just very yeah. cool. Although the, I will say that just kind of, they just kind of swim and then it like just cuts. Yeah, it just kind of cuts and There's ends. not like a much going on. I was like, this felt like a really good place for like a set piece kind of moment or like mm -hmm. some drama and it doesn't really happen, but it like looked so cool. I wanted something else to happen <laughs> there. And they're like, yeah. And yeah. maybe it's because it was complicated to animate or something. And they were like, ah, let's get out of here. Like, I don't know. But yeah, um, maybe. No, I thought it was interesting because it, it moves right. Yeah, it moves what I mean. like yeah. a river. Yeah, it feels like it feels like I said, it feels very real and mm -hmm. felt like I said, it was very striking to me. And then we just kind of like quickly <laughs> get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have the thought while we were watching this that um, it's a good thing that Dalmatians are very athletic dogs. Yes, because if, if this was the 101 French Bulldogs, they'd all just be dead. Yeah. Hate to say. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's this great moment where she, Cruella's car, while she's chasing the truck with the dogs on it, goes off like a ravine, like yeah. it's like a bridge, like and down she, like, an embankment. Down an embankment, and she gets stuck in like wedged in the snow at the bottom. There's like feet of like over a foot of snow, and she just is able to drive up <laughs> the embankment of like foot deep snow in this in this Rolls Royce or whatever. It's like that is a hell of a car. Like that it's got some horsepower. It's got some traction. They don't make luxury cars like they used I'll to. I'll say that thing is <laughs> wow. Impressive. Uh, and then my last note, which I already said, is like, yeah, we got to the end. I was like, it's a perfectly fine movie. It's kind of cute. It just didn't do a lot for me beyond that. It's not really saying a lot that I found interesting. I didn't think it was particularly funny um had its moments but it just again it just kind of washed over me and left mm -hmm. didn't leave much of an impact i guess compared to some of the other you know disney stuff we've done which i thought was surprising because i thought i don't know i'm not that surazing that's kind of what i expected honestly <laughs> i say that yeah, pretty much the, exactly. this was not an era of disney where they had a lot to say yeah typically yeah. they were just kind of making fun little movies yeah and again there's nothing wrong with that it's just i don't know just didn't didn't it didn't do a lot for me. Before we get to the final verdict, we want to remind you you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads. Give us a little like, follow, whatever you need to do so that you see our posts and you can comment on them because we would love to hear what you have to say about 101 Dalmatians on our next prequel episode. Also, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this show. Drop us a little five-star rating. Write us a review. All of that is really helpful in getting this show out to more people. And then finally, if you would love to support us even more than that, you can head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Give us a little bit of money a month. Get access to stuff at different levels. There's a 2 a 5 and a $15 level. At $2, you get early access ad-free. Uh, at $5, you get all that plus bonus content, uh, and which we just watched. We'll be recording it soon, but we just watched our December episode, which is going to be on The Happiest Season, or just called Happiest Season, yeah. um, which is a Hulu original holiday movie from 2020, I believe, uh, that is just delightful. So if you want to hear us talk about Happiest Season, that should be out within the next week or so. It'll definitely be out before Christmas. Uh, we, we just watched it last night. 
Uh, and then uh, at the $15 and up level, you get access to priority recommendations. If you have something that you would really love for us to talk about, you can shoot us that recommendation if you're giving us that 15 bucks a month, and we will move it up into the queue as high as we can reasonably get it so that we can talk about what you would like to hear. Katie, now, though, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. 101 Dalmatians is considered a Disney animated classic. Although it isn't often put up on the same pedestal as some of its siblings, uh, particularly the classic fairy tales and the Renaissance films. I'm not saying that it should be, but personally, I find this film incredibly charming. The art style, while not breathtaking, is delightful and unique. Storytelling is simple, but it's fun. And while it doesn't have the typical Disney musical soundtrack, the one song that it does have is catchy and memorable. It was interesting. I was going to mention that. The, the, all the stuff I read in the prequel mentioned three songs. Cruella de Vil is like the only song yeah. that I, I don't there's know what the, the other. There's the canine crunchies song. Yes. Okay. That was one of them. Yeah. And then and I don't, I don't know, the know about the third one. one. I don't know. Anyways, maybe it's at the end or something. I just missed yeah. it. Oh, there is a song at the end. Roger starts singing the Dalmatian Plantation song. That's it. Yes, yep. that's it. That's it. Okay. There you go. Glad we solved that. Yep. Um, <laughs> the movie is also surprisingly faithful to Dodie Smith's book in many ways, while also making changes that, in my opinion, strengthen the overall story. The movie chose to cut out superfluous characters to truncate the storyline and to add additional scenes that happen off screen in the book, such as the two main couples meeting and the puppies getting dognapped. But perhaps one of the most notable elements that gives the movie an edge for me is its portrayal of the story's villain. Corella Deville was already an iconic villain in the book, and the movie doesn't just nail her character. It really goes above and beyond with an iconic character design, and an incredible performance from Betty Lou Gerson. While I find the book interesting and even charming in some ways, for me, it didn't delight me in the same way that the movie does. So this time, I have to give it to the movie. There you go. Movie wins on this one. I, I, I said earlier that my favorite part is probably maybe the opening credits, but I, I, I've re- I've reassessed and actually my favorite thing about this movie is Cruella DeVille, mm -hmm. but not necessarily because of her in this movie, but because we get Cruella DeVille in Once Upon a Time. And if she was not in Once Upon a Time, which is maybe my I, favorite. I had no idea that you liked her character. I think she's much so Once much Upon fun in Once Upon a Time. And she gets to be, she just had a great line last night where she's just roasting whatever <laughs> milk toast, uh, <laughs> David, whatever his name is, uh, Prince, Prince Charming, yeah. yeah, the worst character, <laughs> maybe not the worst character, but a lot of characters I don't like in that yeah. show. To be fair, no, she she's a great character in any version, yes. like any yes. uh, iteration of the story. Very yeah. iconic character. It's the camp, yes, because it's she always gets to be camp, and it's yes. so much fun, and it's always great. Yes, and that yeah, I, I, again, I, I yeah, I really enjoy. So that, I'm glad she exists for that. Not <laughs> for no other reason. <laughs> Katie, what's next? Up next, we have our uh, proper holiday Christmas episode. Um, and we will be talking about the Nutcracker. Yes. 
Um, we're we're kind of one, we're kind of running low on holiday classics. Um, we're scraping yes. the bottom oh, of boy. the barrel well, here. No way we're going to run out of Christmas movies, right? No, we're about to run out of oh, Christmas movies. Unless we start revisiting versions of A Christmas Carol, we're going to run out of Christmas I movies. I mean, we'll definitely do that at some point. There's definitely, we can go back to the Christmas Carol well probably at some point, at least once. But but we're going to have to do that next year because there's nothing left. I find that hard to believe. I, we'll see. I mean, I, 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 you're you're the one doing the research and putting the, the the list together, but it just seems crazy to me that in you know we've been doing this a while, but it's we've only done six Christmas episodes, right? Like, is there that like six or seven? Or, yeah, yeah. There's not very many that are. There are a lot of Christmas movies, right, but there yes. are not very many that are based on books. Huh. All right. Well. Anyways. So anyway, if you have any specific Christmas <laughs> book recommend movie book recommendations, please let us know because we're we're running out. Yeah, we're we're running on fumes. But uh, here. which which what um, are we doing? So we're actually going to have a listener's choice yeah. uh, for our Nutcracker episode, and there will be three different options. And I need to post this soon, um, so that you guys can vote. And our options are going to be Barbie and the Nutcracker. Oh. A classic. Um, the Nutcracker in 3D. Uh, sometimes I saw it titled The Nutcracker, The Untold Story okay. from 2010. Um, and The Nutcracker and the Four Realms from 2018. Interesting. I, I this is one of the ones where I don't even know what I would consider the. <laughs> I don't think any of is them there are like a the, definitive. I like, don't know. Ver- you know what I mean? I mean, the definitive Nutcracker is the Tchaikovsky Ballet. Sure, <laughs> but... I, I guess that's is. Uh, I was. I guess that's what I was wondering if there's not like a movie version of. I that. I would not say that there is a definitive Nutcracker movie. Huh. No. Honestly, maybe Barbie and the Nutcracker. Over, over like those two. The thing that's crazy is I feel like I watched a Nutcracker movie several times as a kid that I thought was pretty popular, and I don't think it was any of those. So I'm interested. I don't know. I'd have to go look and see if I could figure out what I. I have like yeah. this weird memory bouncing around in my head of watching. And there might a Nutcracker be Nutcracker movie, but there might be like um like a filmed stage version oh. of the ballet bouncing around but i was really more interested in doing like a cinematic like a movie adaptation of it my memory of what i watched was not a stage like it was a movie movie i thought but i could be wrong i don't again it's a very faint childhood memory (laughs) so who knows but interesting all right well that's it nutcracker coming up next uh maybe yeah we'll uh get that poll up you can let us know which one you prefer for us to talk about and also shoot us shoot us some more christmas book movie recommendations maybe you have some some secret hidden gems that we're unaware of uh because that'll be helpful or or we're gonna stop doing christmas and start doing other stuff i'm sure there's other there's other holiday things we could do maybe i've been if 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 anybody knows (laughs) of any hanukkah movies i'm down i'm game we'll do whatever yeah uh, anyways, let us know. Uh, follow up on social media. We we need your help. We need your help. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> come back uh, next week. We'll be talking about. We're doing. We're previewing the Nutcracker. But until that time, guys, gals, and my pals, and everybody else, keep reading books, watching movies, and, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.